0: Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. We're going to go into John chapter 1 now this evening. and. Um... We're going to start in verse 6, but by way of just talking and rehearsing what we talked about last week, um, we began with John, who's writing this gospel. He began with creation. In the beginning was the word. Now, so he answers the question in verse 3, when all things are created through this word of God, who we know is Jesus Christ, all things were created by him. It answers the question, remember, why is there something instead of nothing? And so that answers the question right there. And then we move forward last week, and we we talked about how Jesus, this word is... is light and life, and remember how we correlated that to Genesis chapter 1, where God said in the creation story, um, let there be light, so there's light, and then after that, he creates life on planet earth, so there's light and life, and then we said that light and life are also the divine names of Jesus in the gospel of John, because remember Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life so you see light and life again so you see these things coming up and John's going to keep bringing them back and rehearsing those now where we finished last week we showed where the light the darkness did not comprehend the light now the word comprehend in verse um, five is an interesting word the word comprehend now it has a dual meaning as I look up the Greek and the dual meaning goes like this on the one side it means to seize to attack to overpower but on the other side, it means to understand. So now, when you put that together, you realize that the darkness will not understand it. And they will never overpower the light. And aren't you glad for that one? Amen to that? So the darkness will never overpower the light, but it won't understand the light whatsoever at all. So we're going to pick up now in verse 6 as we go. And I like to move fast, so here we go. Verse 6. Um, there came a man... When I say move fast, I don't mean we're going to go cover a lot of verses in John. So you know I go slow that way, but fast sideways. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. Now notice he says there came a man. I like that because he says there came a man. Why is that important? Because he's making a contrast from the person he starts off with. In the beginning was the word. We know the word is who? Who? Jesus Christ, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is not just a man, he's the God-man. So now you see the contrast. There came a man. He's talking about John the Baptist, but Jesus is the God-man. I like that. But notice he says, there came a man, what? Sent from? Sent from God. Listen, everybody. I think this is where we got to wake up to the fact and the reality that if you're a follower of Christ... If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you now have been sent from God to be a witness for him. Amen to that one? Now, you're in great company in that respect. Now, let us shift over, and I'm going to show you the great company you're in. Go over way to the left, second book of the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 3. Go over there, and when you get there, say, I'm there. Let me hear those pages ruffling. You're that fast, huh? That's because those little cheat sheets I gave you, didn't I? Now watch this about Moses, and keep the context in your mind. There came a man sent from God, like John the Baptist was sent from God, but you and I are sent from God. Watch Moses in chapter 3. We're going to read verses 10 through 15. Watch this. Therefore, come now, this is God speaking to Moses. Therefore, come now at the burning bush. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Notice that God said, my people, Right? They're God's people. You are God's people now as a born again believer. But Moses said to God, "Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt?" I have a question for you. How eager was Moses to deliver the people 40 years earlier? He was really eager. So much so he murders an Egyptian. Remember that? He's going to kill every Egyptian one at a time. 40 years later, how eager is he now? He don't want to go. You wait too long in obeying the will of God, guess what? You ain't going to want to do it. You're going to talk yourself out of it. You're going to give yourself every reason not to do it. Now, here we go, verse 12. And he said, certainly I will be with you. Don't you love that? And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Good question. Verse 14, here's what God says. God said to Moses, I am who I am. I like the Ten Commandments. I am. No, I like the Ten I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has what? Louder, has what? Has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations. Does God send Moses? Yes. Does God send you and I? Yes, he does. Now watch, because the question comes up is, because we're called to testify and share And our primary calling is to make Christ known. We know that, do we not? Somebody's going to say, but Jim, I don't know what to say. Okay, wait a minute here. Look at chapter 4. This is not on those notes. This is what I added. Look at chapter 4, verse 12. As the conversation continues and Moses is debating with God and trying to talk God out of it. (laughs) Which you can't. Verse 12. Now then go and I, even I will be with your what? Your mouth and teach you what you are to say. Ah. So if I put myself out there and I believe I'm sent from God and I'm called to make Christ known and I find myself in situations where I'm called to witness or somebody's asking a question, should I panic and fear as to what I'm going to say? Or I should be confident in knowing that since I put myself out there and I've stepped out of that boat, that God is going to give me the words to say amen to that one right there. Remember that Jesus one day said, they will bring you before governors. They'll bring you before kings. Do not panic. Do not worry about what you're going to say, because in that hour, the Holy Spirit will give you what to say. Amen? So we have been sent from God. Don't worry about what you're supposed to say. Now, check this out. You want to get in better company about being sent? Turn back to John now, but go to John chapter 3. Check out John 3 and verse 17. The verse after the verse everybody likes to quote. Now watch this. John 3, 17, it says, For God did not send the the Son into the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through Him. Did God send the Son? Yes, He sent Jesus Christ. So you and I We are in the best company. John the Baptist was sent. Moses was sent by God. And God the Father sends Jesus Christ to go share and to go reach people. We're in great company. Now, back to John chapter 1. What specifically has he sent us to do? Look at verse 7. John chapter 1 verse 7. He came as a a witness to testify about the? The light, that's right. So that all might believe through him. So now we've been sent, like John the Baptist, like Moses, and like Jesus, as we're here to witness. We're here to share. Do you remember the last words that Jesus gives to the disciples in Matthew chapter 28? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Correct? The Greek word going in the tense it's written in means the word, Greek word go means going. You're always going. There's not like, I went, now I'm back. No, you're always going. You're always out there sharing. You're always looking for opportunity. Didn't it tell us the day the church was born in Acts chapter 1, but you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the world, right? So this is what we're called to do. Now, the question more it more goes like this. Well, let me, let me back up. Here's... Here's the best way to, in my, there's in my, a practical way to approach it. Um, I, I regularly ask God this God, give me opportunity and give me the boldness to step into the door of that opportunity. Pray that regularly. Ask God regularly that. But then you got to keep your eyes open, do you not? Because if you ask God to op- give you opportunity to share your faith, to share Him with somebody, Then you got to have the guts to step to the door when the door opens. Otherwise, you're just saying words. You're saying a prayer that doesn't matter. You step through it. Now, let me give you a practical way. Anybody remember the illustration of S-A-L-T, salt, that I gave before in times past? Here's how you approach it. Salt. S. You're talking. Start the conversation. S. Just start the conversation. A. Remember what A stands for? Ask questions. Don't start telling them all about you. Don't people like to tell you about themselves? Ask questions. Most people love to talk about themselves. And then the L stands for listen. Listen to them. Just hold off. Just listen to people. And then from there, at some point, they're going to start asking you something. And that's what the T is. That's where you tell your story and you testify. So what do you? Start the conversation you ask questions, you listen, and then you testify, you tell your story. And if you follow that simple process, and you pray for opportunity, and you ask for boldness in that opportunity, guess what? God is going to give you those opportunities. Now, let me shift up. John the Baptist now, as he shows up on the scene, he is the culmination of all the Old Testament prophets. This is the final Old Testament, in a sense, prophet to come, to testify of the light. Now, here's a question You have to think about, why does God send John the Baptist as this prophet? Didn't God send prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet prophet in the Old Testament? Didn't he? Why did he send another one? It's almost like it's a testimony to the fact that people don't want Jesus. That people were in a fallen world. That even the Jews didn't want Jesus at all. That they're just blind to the light around them. Now, let me tell you, because I I try to think about these things. Christians, you ever find yourself screaming at the TV? About what's going on in the world? Be honest. You ever find yourself saying, how can people be so stupid? You ever say, how can people be so blind? How can people think that way? I do it too. Okay, so. But here's the thing I have to watch with myself. It's easy to look at in our country and start to blame all the problems on on people out there, right? It's really easy to do that. But it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? It's not just the culture that has the problem. Isn't it part of the church's problem. I mean, if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, will the culture ever change? No, no it's never going to change. See, we're called to the, See, it's easy to sit there. Let's just take the one. How? Everything's blame now and everything's victimization and poor you, right? That's a big one right now, right? Okay. It's easy to sit back and be a Christian and blame all the evil out there. Is it not? It's easy to fall in the same trap. And you got to be careful of that trap. See, if things are going to change, then you and I need to realize we've been sent from God as a light to reach people. And things change one person at a time. Do they not? Okay, let me tell you. One person saved can change generations. I've told you before, my sister Joanne, she gets saved. And she, was, she became like this, these psycho-Christians that has to tell everybody about Jesus. And she's an evangelist, and she's going to tell... She don't even care. She's going to tell you. But guess what? Then all of her siblings get saved. I was like the last sibling to get saved. And then what happens? All of the siblings' children, they become Christians. And so... We're watching all the kids get saved, all the children, they're all grown up now, and then the grandchildren, they're getting saved, all because one person got saved. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, I know that Olivia and I, right before, you know, lights out, you know, she always wants to kiss me in the neck, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> I just like saying that. <laughs> I just wish for that, actually. No, I'm just... <laughs> um, but we pray, and one of the things we pray is we pray for all of our grandchildren. But we don't just pray for the grandchildren that are now born in here. We pray for the grandchildren that aren't even conceived yet. We pray for them all. And I pray, and I said to God, I pray, Lord, that they, these grandkids become dynamic Christians, that they are bold as a lion, that they are hungry for the word of God, that they walk the straight and narrow, that they lead many people to Christ, that they're not afraid to stand up against the lies and the errors of the culture. I pray, Jesus, that they walk as light like nobody's ever walked as light before. And I pray that every night. You can ask my wife. She'll testify to every night. Because I want those grandkids to walk in a world that does not comprehend darkness, that is dark, but they are a light in the middle of it and no one's going to talk them out of what they believe. Amen to that one? And I would encourage you to pray that. But that all started because one person, my sister Joanne, got saved and then started bleeding Christ to everybody else and we all got saved and then the generation after us got saved and the generation after that got saved. See, we have the ability to really influence and impact culture by reaching people for Christ amen to that one now let's look at verse 7 again let me take another thought he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him now <clears throat> Jesus is testifying I'm sorry John is testifying of Jesus who is the light which makes sense does it not have I ever talked about my grandkids before no I'm just sorry. <laughs> okay <clears throat> but one more one more grandkids sorry real quick Illustration. When, whenever a grandkid is born of mine, uh, I'll, I'll get a picture of that grandchild with me, and I post it. And like this last one, when James Nolan Martin Del Campo was born, and I forgot to put it on there that his first words were John 3:16. But anyway, um, <laughs> I was gonna do that, I forgot. But, but I put it on Instagram, and I put it on Facebook, because I'm announcing James Nolan Martin Del Campo has come into the world. I'm the only one's going to call him little Jimmy. His name is Nolan, but I, they get, they'd say, you can call him little Jimmy. I don't need permission. No. But it makes sense. I make the announcement, right? It makes sense that God has John the Baptist make the announcement of Jesus Christ coming to the world, does it not? The night that Jesus comes, the God-man comes and is born in the manger, what do the angels do? They announce to the shepherds, the Messiah is on the scene. So it makes perfect sense that here comes the announcement right here. Now, last thought on this verse 7 right here. Now, does John the Baptist testify of Jesus or did he testify of himself? Of Jesus. You never testify of yourself. You can give your testimony, but it should always lead to Jesus Christ who has changed your life. Amen to that one? Now, there's two things I want to show you about this. One's not in that outline. I added this, but watch this. Turn to John 8.54. John 8, 54. I want to show you something here. Then I'm going to quickly turn later on. Uh, yeah, then we'll quickly turn another section. Watch what Jesus says in John 8, 54. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is... Okay, let me read it again. If I glorify myself, my glory is... Nothing. It is the Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. So not even Jesus glorifies Himself, correct? No. Now watch this. Now turn to John chapter 16. Now watch what it says of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. We're in John 16, say, I'm there. Okay, now watch. Verse verse 13 and 14. It says, But when He, the Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He, the Holy Spirit, will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears... He will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. The me is Jesus. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Does the spirit of God glorify himself or glorify Jesus? So now you find Jesus letting the father glorify him and you find the spirit of God glorifying you. You find them not glorifying themselves, but glorifying others. That's an important thing in our lives. Never, ever glorify self. Walk in humility. Now look back to John chapter 1. Now look at verse 8 and, and 9. He was not the light. Talking about John the Baptist. He was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. There was a true light. Say true light. light. There was a true light which came into the world enlightens every man. Okay, John came to testify of a true light. The word true there means real or genuine. If there's a real light, a genuine light, there must be a what? There must be a false light. Huh. That's an interesting thing. If there's a true light, there must be a false light. Now, not in that outline, but turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, to your right. Go to your right. You'll see the five T's, 1, 2 Thessalonians, 1, 2 Timothy, Titus, you've gone past it. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Remember, there's a true light. There must be a false light. Now look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. And by the way, uh, on the seared conscience, Brenda, that's verse 2 right there. You'll find that verse on a seared conscience. It's right there, 1 First, First Timothy 4. two. But I'm going to read verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith. Oh, well, we see that, don't you? It's sad. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Okay. Genuine light versus false light. Okay. You see the word there, deceitful spirits? The Greek word there is planas. It's the idea of roving. Any of you ever go outside and I look at the stars and the planets tonight? I do. I really enjoy it very much. Have you ever noticed, like in the wintertime, you'll see Venus toward the western sky? It's the brightest thing at night after the, after the moon, the sun obviously in the daytime. You ever notice that? But if after so many hours, is Venus gone? Yes, it is. Because Venus moves. It's a planet. The planets, the planets, they move. But if you look up at the night sky and you have one of those apps where you can see the stars, you look at the stars up there, the stars don't move. They stay right where they're supposed to be. But the planets will move. The ancient navigators, when they would navigate, they would navigate by the stars or the planets? The stars. If you navigate by the planets, you're not going to end up where you're supposed to end up at, right? You could come crashing on a shoreline at night. You navigate by the stars. In the verse here, in 1 Timothy 4.1, he says you got to watch out for the planas, the rovers, the roving plant, the things that are not stable. See, we navigate by the word of God, the real truth, the real light. And there's a lot of false light out there, is there not? Yes. Listen, I, 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 you've heard me say it before. We don't realize how many lies we believe, correct? And as we study scripture, we uncork those lies one at a time. Hopefully, right? So that we walk in the full truth, in the full light of God's word. We're to be students of scripture. Turn over to your left to Ephesians chapter 4. Now look at this. Look what he says to us here. Christians, every Christian should be a student of scripture. If we're followers of Christ, we need to walk in the light, in the truth of God's word. Now look at verse 11 to 15 of Ephesians 4. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. And the word equipping there means to mend broken bones. Mend broken bones. For the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried away by every what? Every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men. By craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in in love. And remember, truth and love... It doesn't mean you just go up and ram somebody with truth. Truth is truth, but the love is the relational part. If you're going to speak truth into somebody's life, you better build a relationship with them. That's the love part. Otherwise, all you're doing is ramming them with truth. So build a relationship that gives you the entryway into being able to share the truth of somebody. Build a relationship. You're to grow up in all aspects of him who is the head, even Christ. So here's my question. What is a characteristic of a growing, maturing Christian from those verses. Is he tossed back and forth? Is he deceived by deceitful people? Is he pretty stable in what he does? That's right. That's the mark of a growing Christian. You're not going this way. You're not going that way. You're staying right on with this thing right here. Every time a falsehood comes up, you can discern it. Have you ever listened to somebody thought, and you know, I, I, it almost sounds right, but it's not right. Have you ever been like that? Yes. That's because your discernment, your understanding, your scriptural knowledge, your mind's being transformed and renewed by the word of God. So you're not falling for things any longer. Now, can I give you one more illustration, not in your notes? Now, turn to 2 uh, Corinthians to your left a little bit more because this is what I threw in there too. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, watch this. And look at verse 3. I'm going to read 3 through 5. Remember, there's a true light and there's a false light. We don't go for the planets, planets. we stay with the stars. They're stationary. The Word of God is stationary. Verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we all walk in a flesh and blood body, correct? We do not war according to the flesh. You cannot fight spirit with flesh, can you? You must fight spirit with spirit. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Hmm. Now, we are destroying speculations. And every lofty thing, say lofty thing. Raised up against the knowledge of? God And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So now you see there are things, lofty things, raised up against what we know about God through the scriptures. And that's where the battle happens. There's a false light that's always trying to invade our lives. And we have the true light of God's word, correct? And we're to take every thought, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Doesn't matter what so-and-so says, doesn't matter what I saw on television, doesn't matter what article I read, if it doesn't line up with God's word, it's just not the genuine true light. Amen to that one? And you stay with genuine true light no matter what. Now, turn back to John chapter 1, look at verse 10. He was in the world, that's Jesus, Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Okay. Who is in the world? Let me rephrase it this way. Or answer it this way. The one who made the world. The one who made the world is in the world now. So the creator steps into history, does he not? Does the creation recognize the creator when the creator stepped into history? No, it did not. Uh-uh. Does the creation worship everything but the creator? Sure does. But the creator steps into his creation. Into history. Now look at verse 11. Look what he adds. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. This kind of fulfills Isaiah 53, does it not? If you think about it, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised. He wasn't accepted. Now, <clears throat> he came to his own, and, and the Jews, and they rejected him. If you ever want to see this in typology, one of the, and there's many of them, but one of the coolest ones is found in Genesis 37 with Joseph. What do Joseph's brothers feel about him? They don't like that guy at all. What do they do to him? They sell him. They sell him off. It's the same thing that happens to Jesus. He's a type of Jesus to come. He's a real person, but he's a type of Christ to come. He was rejected. Jesus was rejected by his own. Now let's let's be let's be. We all know we all know what rejection feels like. Do we not? Every guy knows what it feels like to be rejected by a girl, right? My wife broke up with me at one point. Okay, not when we were married, but when we were dating. So, don't think like she broke up with you what, six months ago and got back together. No. But yeah, it's, I still am resentful toward her over that. But no, no. but every guy knows that. But. I know what it feels like to be rejected by New Beginnings attendees. I know what it feels like to be told some of the ugliest things by Christians in the church here. I know what it feels like. But you know what it feels like, too, in your life, don't you? To be reje- we all know what rejection feels like. I'm not unique. We all, we all know that. Now, I share with you before, and I'm going to share with you again this one. <clears throat> My son Nathan and I went through a real hard patch You guys know Nathan, most of you, right? It was about, it started about 2015. Probably lasted about a little over a year, maybe a year and a half. It's hard to remember the time frames. He was so upset with me. His words were, you let me down. And I'll never forget of our many times we sat and just talked we were sitting in the Del Taco parking lot on Ontario Avenue in Corona. And I'll never forget when he said, he goes, you were Superman, and Superman let me down. And I was like, you know, as a dad, you're like, and then as a Christian, you just, God, you just. And it was really difficult, really difficult. We went on about three road, two or three road trips together. One time I set up the road trip, hotel, but he was so upset with me, I, I lost the money on the hotel. And I said, Olivia, well, I just lost it. I'm just trying to fix this. It was a hard season because I created him. You follow me? I created him. And now my creation was rejecting me. And we'd always had a good relationship. So it was really tough. So when we'd go and get together and just be together, it was awkward in the beginning. It had never been awkward before. And I had to just let him tell me whatever he wanted to tell me. I wanted to defend myself. I I didn't think everything he said was true, but I knew if I defended myself, then it wouldn't be fixed. And so I just let him tell me stuff. And every time he would tell me stuff, I would say, Nathan, I'm sorry I let you down. I'm just sorry I let you down. And as time went by, as time went by, things healed up, and we have a better relationship than we ever had before. Now, what won out? What won out? Love did, did it not? I just kept affirming that I loved him and that I was sorry. I love you, but I'm sorry. Think about this. How many people are walking around and they feel like they've been hurt, wounded by a church person? church person did something to them. And maybe they were once in church, but a church person hurt them. Look, on a side note, I know that some people, all they do is walk around looking to be offended by an organization or a person. I get it. I've been counseling for 35 years. That, That person just needs to grow up emotionally. But there's plenty of people out there that have been hurt, wounded, and they feel rejected, and they've walked away from God because they feel like a church or somebody's hurt them. And I think one of our biggest jobs that we have to do is when we run into people like that, don't defend God in a sense. Don't defend the church. Don't defend yourself. Just apologize for whoever did what. And just love that person. Otherwise, we never, we never get that person back to Jesus. It doesn't matter if they come here to church. Just get them back to Jesus. It's going to take love to get them back. You know And I know from my experience with Nathan, I know the pain of a father. I can only imagine, can you imagine the pain that Jesus must feel, not just from people who've walked away wounded by a church or a person, but with all of humanity? This was just one child of mine. Can you imagine the millions upon millions of people that reject Jesus on a daily basis? Can you imagine what that feels in his heart? It must, it must, I I can't imagine that. But he was rejected. He was despised, he was rejected by his own, and he continues to be rejected today. And you and I, sent from God, have the opportunity to mend so many relationships as we come upon them. Don't be afraid of somebody's pain or anger or hurt. Ask them questions. Find out what happened. Listen. Hey, say, I'm sorry for whatever, what happened, what they did to you. You know, and just, and just love that person and try to love them back in because they still are a vital piece of what God wants to use and do in this world through the kingdom of heaven. Amen to that one? Amen. Now, let's move on. Verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Let me give you three things on this right here. The first thing is some people reject him and some people accept him. Do they not? I like that because, once again, we are free moral agents to choose this way or that way, correct? So we have the power to choose. given And we talked about three or four weeks ago on Sunday morning that you have to have free will. Otherwise, you cannot have love. Love is only possible through free will and free choice. So you find it right there. Now, <clears throat> the second thing I want to say is what I said last week, and I want to keep affirming this. It's salvation comes by receiving and believing. Question, is believing just saying, oh, I believe there's a God? No, there isn't. Believing means to trust. It means to jump all the way in. It means you're, you're not one foot in, one foot out. It means you're in the deep end, and you're going all the way with Christ. Amen? So this whole thing about, oh, you know, I believe, no, that's not going to cut it at all. Now, there's a third thing I want to say about that in this. <clears throat> and it's the most beautiful part. It says, look at verse 12 again. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. Look back at John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So from the beginning in that verse 1, we find that God is a fellowship. He's a Father, Son, Holy Spirit, correct? God is a fellowship. And the beautiful part is when a person puts their faith in Christ, God expands a fellowship and allows that person to come in the fellowship of John 1.1. Do you see that? So it reverses what happened in the garden when Adam and Eve were in fellowship with God and they sinned and there was separation. Now Jesus comes and he opens the door for us to come back into the fellowship of God because God is a fellowship. You follow what I'm saying there? Now, let me tell you something about that that I, I like to keep rehearsing in people's minds. When you came into the fellowship of God, you are now justified. Say justified. justified, it means declared innocent. And the idea is just as if you've never sinned. See, in your life as a follower of Christ, you live in two different worlds as far as you live in your standing and you live in your state justified, my standing is just as if I've never committed a sin in my life. Isn't that a great thing? But my state is, oh, I know I sin, and I know I have faults, and I know I mess up, right? So which is the better one to dwell in? Your standing. If you don't dwell in your standing, if you only dwell in your state, you're only going to think you're the biggest loser and you're going to feel very guilty and pretty soon you will not even come into church or feel like you can worship God, correct? But if you dwell in your standing, knowing that, hey, I'm declared innocent. Every sin I've ever committed, everything is under the blood and washed away. Will I feel guilty to come in here if I've had a bad week? No, I'll come in here and I'll worship God because I know by based on what Jesus has done and my faith in Him, that all my sins are washed away. Correct? And so I can come in at any time and I never have to walk around guilty or feel bad about myself. I say, God, forgive me. I repent and I'm going to keep going because I know my standing before God is right. Correct? And if you live in that, well, you'll never walk away from God. Now, look at verse 13. Who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There's four things in there. Now here we go. The first thing is the people come into fellowship with God were not born of blood. What does that mean? Just because your parents are Christian doesn't mean you're a Christian. Your ancestry doesn't save you. Just because, in this case, if you're Jewish and you're a descendant of Abraham, it doesn't save you. He's saying, look, only those who believe and receive Christ. They become children of God. Is this a complete mind change for the people of that day? You better believe it. They thought they were falling with God because they were children of Abraham. Now, this becomes a massive battle in the future of this book when Jesus and the Pharisees are going to go at it. Now, watch this. Look at John chapter 8. Turn to John 8. Go about seven chapters forward. This is not in your little notes there. I added this. Look at John 8. Now watch the battle that goes on between Jesus and the Pharisees. And when we get to this chapter in in months later, you're going to see it's a massive battle. Now, look at verse 39 first. Jesus and the Pharisees, they're going back and forth and back and forth. And it's a battle. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. What did they just say when they said Abraham is our father? Blood. Because of our ancestry, we're children of God. That's what they're saying, right? But back up and let's see where Jesus thoroughly offended them, okay? Because he's good at that. Look at verse 24. Jesus speaking to them says, Therefore I I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Can you imagine Jesus telling the religious descendants of Abraham, you're going to die in your sins unless you believe I am he? And so this battle is waging back and forth. And Jesus is letting him know it doesn't matter that you're Jewish. It doesn't matter that you're descendants of Abraham. You must place your faith in me, he says. And that's it. Now, look back to John chapter 1 again. Look at verse 13 not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Now, what's the will of the flesh? What's well, a natural man? Romans chapter 3. Nobody seeks after God. No one's looked for God. God came looking for us. And then he says, nor of the will of man. In other words, no one can force another person to be saved. Correct? Jesus even said, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. So it's this divine thing, and you find the divine thing right there at the very end of chapter, verse 13, when he says, but of... God. It's a divine work. And this becomes the struggle in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus when Jesus tells him, unless one's born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This whole struggle of the flesh for the spirit, it's only a divine work of God when somebody comes to Jesus Christ. It's not the work of the flesh whatsoever. Now verse 14. I'm going to tell you, next week we're only going to be in verse 14, just so you know. Because there's just too much in there. But I'm going to share some things now, and I'll probably intro with those next week. So this is where we end tonight. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full Of grace and truth. Okay. Think about this. The word who never came to be. Came to be human. The word who never came to be. Came to be human. Repeat after me. The word. Who never came to be. Came to be human. Isn't that amazing? The word who never came to be. Came to be human. Huh. It's called the incarnation. Jesus takes flesh. The God man comes on the scene. Do you know why humans are special? You know why humans are the highest created thing of God on earth? You know why? Because you're you and I are made of the composition that God can inhabit. Does the Holy Spirit live in you? Then you're made of a composition that God can inhabit. That's why you're the highest creation. Do you think you should teach your kids that? Do you think you should teach your grandkids that? That's right. You're the highest creation because God can inhabit you. You're a human. Now, let me close with this because I like this kind of stuff. It's in your little cheat sheet there too. But watch the unfolding history as John lays it out. In John chapter 1, in verses 1 through 3, we see, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Is that the creation? So John begins with creation, first thing. Look at verse 6. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. Is this the culmination of all the prophets? Yes. God sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, and John's the culmination of the prophets. Look at verse 10. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. History continues. Does Jesus step into world history to save sinners? Yes, he does. You have creation. You have the culmination of the prophets. You have Jesus stepping into history to save sinners. And then you have verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Are people being born again now? Yes. So now you have the creation, you have the culmination of the prophets, you have Jesus stepping into history, and now you have people being saved. And so in these things, you find history unfolding just in the first so many verses of John chapter 1. Isn't that amazing how John puts all that together? That's not even the most amazing as in a couple weeks or from now, I'm going to show you something that's even more amazing than that as John pieces things together because it's incredible as he puts it together. And when we just casually read it, we don't catch it. But John begins with the creation, the, unfold, the culmination of the prophets. Jesus, the God-man, comes on the scene and people are being saved. History is unfolding as John lays it out. Amen. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we are. God, thank you, Lord, that we got to come tonight to study your word. There's so much in here. There's so much in here. God, I, I pray that we realize that we have been sent from God. We are the torchbearers, we're the ones, we're to make Christ known. You stepped into history, the Creator stepped into his creation. We're saved, and now we are the ones sent into this world to reach people. Let us remember that. Let us remember that. So God, we thank you for this night. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, amen and amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at Norco, or... Email us at hello at nbcc.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.